Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As almost always, I'm Alex Roy, here with my great friends, and let me be fair to Ed, because it's his birthday, that Ed <laughs> is equally authoritative, credible, and wise as Kirsten Korosek. Happy birthday, Ed. Unless he's talking about Tesla, then he's not <laughs> credible nor wise. <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly not as authoritative as the noble and 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 well-rehearsed Kirsten Korosek. <laughs> well-rehearsed. I don't know if that's a compliment or a dig, but I'll take yeah. it. Kirsten, <laughs> is, I mean, look at your meteoric rise, your credibility. You're like, I mean, you're just... You're, you're the shit. I mean, come on. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, but Ed, it's your birthday. I love you too. Oh, thank you, Alex. I, I love both. And I'm very happy to be doing my favorite thing on my birthday, which is talking about mobility with you guys. I mean, but Ed, don't you feel like, do you feel as jealous as I do when you see Kirsten on stage and she's like, just, she's leading these TechCrunch conferences and she's interviewing these, these like celebrities and this and that. And it, it, I got, it, it does give me a little bit of FOMO. I mean, I'm I'm not as <laughs> I don't enjoy the whole being on stage thing quite as much as I think maybe you do, but I am always super jealous when uh, Kirsten lets me in on the amazing uh, stories that she's working on <laughs> because uh, she has a way of sniffing stuff out that I really wish uh, wish I did too. I think that you're commenting on something I just told you. No, no, I mean, I mean, in, I mean this in general. Uh, there have been numer- uh, numerous instances where uh, you've you've sniffed stuff out that I really wish I had. So um, no, I'm, I'm constant. I'm in awe of both of you guys. You guys are amazing. What I find really funny is that since this podcast started uh, that all three of us um, are in more interesting and better places than we were when we started. And neither of you guys feed me the kind of like little like hints and things like you used to, like, I mean, it's some, Alex, you're in special ops now. I mean, (sighs) which, and I have to say, I, I've been, uh, I, you know, I kind of assume maybe, uh, you know, since you were able to get a, a job in special ops, you know, that maybe, uh, you know, the, these kinds of jobs are just out there waiting to be had. And um, being unemployed, I've, I've asked around, it turns out that like, that's, that's not a job that you can, you know, that anyone can just go out and, and get, or at least that I can't. So, um, you know, so it, it takes, I certainly, it's a credit to you. It, oh, that's very sweet. Uh, but, you know, one has to be willing to practice careful communications, which I'm going to practice today right. because we're talking about some things that are both very near and dear to my heart. And yet I've got to accuse myself a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Waymo. I guess, Ed, you took a ride in their car recently. We're going to talk about NTSB. Um, Madre de Dios. Is that a mind <laughs> for me? <laughs> and, um, but luckily you guys have a lot to say. I will chime in where I can. And I think you will find my silence deafening. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear you not talking. Um, <laughs> That's my power, my special power. <laughs> Before we kick off and talk about um, Ed's ride, which uh, you wrote about for TechCrunch, which is great. Yeah. Um, uh, we actually got to work together. That was that was awesome. Yeah. I got to boss you around, which is great. <laughs> um, and, and edit and edit your story. So before we talk about that, though, it's the timing is impeccable because uh, just this past week, Waymo made um, uh, an acquisition. I would, I would put it more towards aqua hire, even though they didn't use that term. Because if you read the very brief statement that they provided, basically they're they're have acquired a company called Leighton Logic that came out of um, Oxford, the computer science department, actually. 
And uh, it's going to remain there. It's going to basically, it's signaling Waymo's first engineering hub in UK. They're putting down stakes there. And then if you read through the statement, it says, you know, the the co-founders, CEO, and key engineering staff are staying. So to me, that that is a marker for Aquahire. So they weren't releasing financial terms. The most interesting thing, and what I'm hoping Alice can talk about, oh my God, <laughs> is simulation. Simulation has been a part of Waymo's um, testing for for a long time, and it I think it was an, a topic that all three of us sort of just assumed everyone was doing. But as the years have gone by and unfolded, it turns out maybe not all is created equally. And um, now there seems to be more attention being placed on simulation than ever before. Yeah, Alex, you you actually, I mean, we're, we're well, you're certainly ahead of, of Uber ATG on this, who who's actually, we also recently learned they're, they're in talks. I think everyone was a little bit ahead I, of Uber ATG. Right. I don't mean to damn with faint praise here, uh, but, but Uber is just in now in talks to uh, acquire um, a startup, one of the lesser known ones called Foresight. Um, but you were, you were an investor in a, um, in a simulation company called Right Hook um, quite a few years ago. Um, I'm just curious, like what was your, what, what did you see in simulation, um, and and what what made you see that as something to to look at? Let's be clear. I'm, I'm I'm representing myself and only me here today. Yes, yes. And that's that's why I probably started Tonicast that way. It, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. So I, you know, <laughs> as a big player of video games growing up, and especially SimCity, um, you know, I wrote a paper in college about the underlying assumptions, you know, the mathematical model between different generations of SimCity and the growth and decline models. And it became very obvious to me, and this is more than 20 years ago, that that game is not a practical tool for teaching how to manage a city. And yet there are people who think that all Sim is created equal. It's not. Sim is is not, not all Sim is the same. And so when, uh, I guess what, 26, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but several years ago, uh, I came across, uh, you know, uh, Right Hook, and I looked at some of the, you know, the startups in the simulation sector. And it seemed very obvious to me that uh, everybody building AVs was going to need uh, a very good simulator. And but that, that's that's just half of it because even if the simulation engine is good and the physics models are there, you know, you've got to feed data into it. That's another battle. And then you have another problem, which is. How are you actually using SIM to develop and deploy your AVs? So there's three problems there, and companies need to solve all three to make SIM to give SIM value as part of the development chain. Because at the and after all that, then you're going out and testing the cars that you tested in SIM. How are you testing those cars? So one can't say that SIM alone matters. Everything matters, Uh, but you know, I'm looking at this information piece from 2018, where it is several people allege that Uber, you know, was very late to the sim game. Is not a lot to be said about that, which I will leave to Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the, and we'll get more into the NTSB thing, but but you know, clearly one of the the factors that contributed to that was the fact that they were just trying to rack up real world miles, um, sort of as much as they could, not necessarily focused, you know, especially on the quality 
of those miles. With one of the really interesting things I heard recently, actually just last week, um, at uh, Aurora's, uh, uh, they did a little sort of, you know, they haven't said much publicly over the last year, and so they did a little sort of catch up session uh, for a few journalists, and um, they actually were very proud of the fact that their on road miles in 2019 were lower than their on road miles in 2018, and they said that is a product of them uh, stepping up their own in-house simulation efforts and being able to sort of make that a more central part of their development process, uh, which is, I think, really interesting, especially given the sort of public perception that, uh, once again, has been sort of championed by uh, Elon Musk that, you know, simulation is not really that useful in, in AV development. Um, they seem to think the exact opposite as, a, I guess, to you and, and, and quite a few others. I would say this, you know, that... <laughs> You know, it is it is not wise to attribute too much success to a single number, no matter what the number is. And a great example of that is, are you know the the California disengagement reports. You know, think about all of the consequences, and the Uber, you know, Uber's recent history is indicative of this, of people's obsession with disengagement, you know, numbers. As a you know, un- involuntary disengagements as a proportion of miles driven. Yeah, like think about the psychology of for investors, for managers, for you know, project managers. That is comes from that, and it's not that's not a good thing. In the same way that you know, in the Vietnam War, you know, systems theory, uh, Rand Corporation, you know, they they they're like you know, a metric of success is tonnage of bombs dropped. That's not how like that's not how the war was won. It's certainly how the war was lost, though. So, you know, to say that one is, you know, increased real world miles alone doesn't mean anything. And to say one is, you know, increased simulation at the expense of real world miles alone doesn't mean anything. Because, and I guess I'll give you a really simple example. We don't know what is like behind closed doors of what everyone is doing in sim. We just don't know. Uh, we can guess. But without knowing exactly how simulation is used, it is impossible to say that simulation alone, um, you know, is a, miles in simulation matters. You, sure. it just, it, these are unknowable. Right. And what well, one can say, you know, one can it doesn't. It's not difficult to look at the types of incidents that Uber, you know, <laughs> has gotten to the news for and say, well, many things led up to that, and point to those things and say, how can a company do all those things? So you're, and I want to let Kirsten get in on this real quick, but, but, but first, uh, you're saying something that actually was one of the big things from my, my Waymo ride. Obviously, the number one question I had for them, um, because they were letting me ride, you know, in their car with no safety driver on public roads. And my major question for them, the first one I asked and one that I, I tried to ask again and again, because I couldn't really get an, a, an answer for them was sort of what were the benchmarks that you had to hit to feel like, you know, this was, to give you enough confidence to do this, to let not just your your early riders, um, but also you know media folks like myself um, actually ride in your car without a, a, a human driver behind the wheel, and they said what you're exactly what you're saying, which is that there is no one metric. It was a ton of things. They didn't go into much detail on them, which was frustrating, um, but understandable as well. Um, but I think this whole question of how safe is safe enough, I think. A lot of people have been waiting for a simple answer to that, and it sounds like it's never going to come. It sounds like it's always going to be a really broad range of factors that give the people developing this stuff confidence to sort of take that next step. 
I mean, I'm trying to think of a, of a good analogy that would kind of clarify how SIM is done right or wrong. But, you know, look at, um, you know, uh, Nissan and Sony got together years ago and did this program called GT Academy, where players of Gran Turismo, who did very well in-game, and, and anyone who plays driving sims it can tell you the Gran Turismo physics model is more difficult, it's more realistic than the Forza's physics model, um, which is more fun to play because it's easy. And so they took these winners of this, this program, uh, the GT Academy competition, who were champions in the game world, and they put them in the real world. And the results were inconclusive. Um, you know, if, if sim was everything, then these people would be coming out of sim and winning races. But it's not everything. It is a very important component of, of responsible development. Um, but I think it's going to be many years before we see, you know, under the hood of exactly how the companies who use sim, you know, intelligently did so. Uh, you know, and, and we can only speculate because no one is really going to come to the table and explain exactly how they do it. Uh, but we can see on the other side, on the public side, whether they're doing so wisely because we don't hear anything about what they do at all, or at least what's happening at all. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. I was going to say that it seems as if really our only insight into measuring if, for example, let's say Waymo or any other company, um, we'll, we'll use Waymo as approach um, in their answer to Ed, which was, not a lot of detail, but basically saying that it's this holistic approach. We don't really have any insight into what that is or if it works until something goes wrong. Yeah. And that and that is when and that's where the Uber NTSB report comes in. And I want to hear from Ed your your ride in in the Waymo car first, but really the best insight we've had about what is going on behind the closed doors of Uber is because of a, of a fatal crash that occurred in a year long investigation. Yeah. So that, so they answered the question, well, I guess it wasn't safe enough. Right. And, and for a number of reasons. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious how your ride was. And if you felt, um, based on, you know, right before you got in to the end of it, how it drove if you, if that question was answered for you or if it was too premature, and I'm talking about specifically the Waymo driverless car that you were in six weeks ago. Yeah. So it, it was really interesting um, in that, uh, you know, I did, I asked, this was the first question. I had a little bit of a, a Q&A um, session first before I got in the car. And, and obviously I was really focused on this question. And, and as I said, I didn't really 
get a, a specific answer um, that was super clear. And I mean, I was asking the question because, you know, it just seems like, you know, the the most, right? Like, obviously, they're taking this big step. There must be something behind it. It just seemed like that's where the story was. But what was really interesting about the experience, now, you know, all of us have been in quite a few AVs, um, uh, development vehicles from a number of different companies, uh, always with a safety driver behind the wheel. And frankly, like, I'm, I've become, I feel a little bit, I don't know if jaded is the right word, but, but, you know, I'm not, it's no longer an experience. It's like, oh my God, this is so crazy. It's like, I'm, I'm really, because we have so few opportunities to do it and because it's so hard to figure out where these companies are, I'm really focused on specific things when I'm in an AV. I'm really trying to assess it as, as well as I can, which is very difficult. Um, this was actually the first time I really had a like, like a holy shit moment um, because there's something psychologically very different about being in a vehicle where there is no human safety net. Like, I think it's like, it's like walking a tightrope uh, and then walking a tightrope or like, like rock climbing, maybe for something Kirsten would understand and then free soloing. Right. Um, those experiences, even if you're, if you're climbing the same route uh, would be extremely different on a psych from a psychological perspective. And um, I think that's, that that really hit me on this was that you know as many vehicles as I've been in as many rides as I've been in I was not prepared for what a profound experience it is to be on public roads and just see and and I think the main thing that hit me was wow I really really trust these guys I mean they didn't even give me a good answer to my question you know I mean they gave me a good answer but it wasn't a, a detailed answer on you know why do you think this is safe enough for me to get in it and I got in it anyway. And again, like the the level of trust that I have in Waymo was not clear to me until we that car started moving, that that Chrysler Pacifica started moving, and I realized this is it. There's nothing between me and a car crash right now that you know, except for this technology. And um, I think that that really reinforced. And I think that to tie that back into the NTSB, you know, I think what 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 is being proven here both in the ride and also what we're learning about the NTSB um because you're right Kirsten this is sort of these these when things go wrong those are sort of the moments where we learn the most um to me the big takeaway of all of it the thread running through all of it is that trust and and we've talked about this a lot before but it really reinforced it trust is the most important thing in this business um because and 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 I don't think you can really even appreciate how important trust is in this business until you have been in one of these vehicles without that human safety net because we're used to trusting humans. We do it all the time. We get as Alex points out often we all, we regularly get into vehicles with people we have no idea how good of drivers they are and we're just sort of okay with that. We we believe that that person wants to keep themselves safe and so we trust them to keep us safe. Uh when you get into a vehicle that doesn't have that human control at all uh, in the loop, um, it it just the, you're trusting that technology, and it really hits you. And I think that as more and more people get into fully driverless rides over the coming years, um, I think we're going to understand more and more that that trust is really the center of all of this. Uh, let, I, I feel compelled to chime in here because I, on my other podcast, <laughs> um, oh, which gosh, by the way yeah. is really good. I, I, no, it is. Really, it is really good. It. it is good. Can I, can I plug it by name? Yeah, yes, you can. No parking podcast with myself and Argo AI CEO Brian Seleski. Um, but you know, we you know we uh, ask every guest, uh, you know, what would it take for you to trust an, an AV? And, and and we get a lot of different answers. 
But fundamentally, the, the common theme is that, you know, AVs are built by people. And so, you know, when you say, Ed, you really trust these guys, and you're, you're referring to the folks at Waymo. Yes. Um, well, you know, they have, they have a long history, I mean, since Lewandowski left, of being both cautious and early to taking a cautious approach. Yes. A very conservative approach. Yep. So it's, and that's reflected in like the, the pace of rollout and a lot of things that they do. Yes. Um, and so, you know, essentially a, a company that is out of the news while working on these things is by definition, you know, relative to their scale and, and you know, uh, and size of deployment. And look at the other companies you've got, um, you know, Aurora's out there, obviously Argo and others, you know, you don't hear much about yep. what's going on. And in some cases, because they're doing more simulation, in some cases, it's because you're taking a cautious approach. And specifically because of that, I think one can infer that the people behind these companies are the people you can trust. Um, you know, I've been trying to find a silver bullet answer with every guest that comes on, no parking. And the silver bullet is always, who are the folks doing this? Like, you know, um, can, can we trust them? There is actually a fundamental flaw to that though, right? Because okay. it's based on perception, which might not be based in reality. So in the case of Waymo, um, in, 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 I don't have an answer to how you get there, but because there's no standard, uh, a infallible way of measuring whether something is safe or not, we're basing getting in a vehicle or Ed is basing the decision to get in that vehicle and write the story based on his perception of, uh, and looking at Waymo's history and all those things matter, right? Um, it, it matters. But as this continues to roll out, we'll have other companies out there in which people will decide based on perception because they've made correct public image, you know, decisions that they too should be trusted. And that might not always play out. Of course not. But think of it like this. There is no thing has ever been invented, not aspirin, not, you know, uh, not anything that hasn't had some side effect. This is just the, the way of invention and, and human creation. And so eventually no one will be able to conceal the reality of, of what they've built. Because statistics, you know, you know this, once you scale, what's going to happen sooner or later? It might just be, you know, whatever, you know, the car dents, you know, dents uh, another vehicle back, whatever it is. Um, how the companies deal with that, everything, everything is reflected eventually. It can't be hidden. But the problem is in the short term, right? The problem is those first few riots, getting that critical mass of trust. And, and by the way, one of my favorite things about your uh, No Parking podcast is the fact that you guys – always ask, what would it take to to trust someone? And it's very clear that that's something that you guys as a company, at least to me, uh, spend a lot of time thinking about. And and I I thought about it when I was in that vehicle. I was like, wait a second, like, how did I get, you know, it's like that moment in a movie where it's like the record stops, scratches, and it's like, yep, that's me. Like, how did I get in this situation? And I think that that absolutely, I mean, yes, we're working with limited information. Uh, perception is based on what we can perceive. I mean, I definitely pay more attention to this than others, but I think the thing, you know, that I sort of came back to when I was in that vehicle was, you know, 
there was talk about about Waymo doing this for a long time. In fact, expectations had sort of built up that they were going to be doing this, I think, as early as like 2017, or, or maybe they'd done some mm-hmm. testing as early as 2017, and and they'd actually taken flack. I think you know there've been some folks in the media who've criticized them for going so slowly and for and for letting people down or whatever. That you know there was this expectation that that they were ready, but then and and I think that. You know, it, it, expectation management is everything in this business. It seems like, and and I think that there's there might almost be some benefit to having expectations built up a little bit and then disappointed because there's something about knowing that they were willing to disappoint people and they were willing to be criticized, that, and that they wouldn't they wouldn't buckle to that, but they would they would keep developing until they were ready. Right. But that can also, that can, and I'm not saying this is the case, but that can also point to the fact that they thought that they were ready and then they, they ran into something that was a fundamental flaw. I mean, there are reasons, and I'm not saying that this is the case with Waymo, but if a company is telegraphing that we're almost there and then suddenly, you know, reverses course, it is responsible and the correct thing to do to, you know, not deploy anyway. Right. right? I mean, they made the right decision, but you can, you can, make all sorts of assumptions as to why, right? It could be, um, the interesting thing to me is that in the past, we've always talked about how, or, and Alex, you've brought this up many times about how in in the world of aviation, we don't pick Delta over United because one is safer than the other. And we are not in that place right now with autonomous vehicles, right? I mean, we're super early on. Do you, and I'm curious what both of you think of this. When do you think we'll get to that point with AVs? Because right now it is based on a trust. Like, I, you know, if if you lined up an Uber and a Waymo, and the three of us had to choose which one to get into, which one would we choose? You know, which one would we choose? I think we all know which one we would choose because based on assumptions of like our perceptions of what which company is has better tech, <laughs> more a more responsible approach. Yeah, correct. Right. And so we make that, but, but that's, again, that's a choice over based on perception. People don't do that when they book a ticket for an airline. So when, when are we going to get to that point? Alex? <sighs> Alex? <laughs> of course, everybody wants me to answer that one. Well, no, because I mean, you've made that, you've made that, um, and you've analogy used that analogy times. many times. I mean, I mean, we are so, it's, it's almost too early to make direct aviation comparisons. Um, you know, uh, we, because we have not, I mean, do you consider Waymo's deployment, the, f- the first commercial driverless deployment, Ed, uh, Kirsten, do you think like, no, uh, they're not charging uh, once they start charging. I mean, here's the thing. They're taking baby steps to that. It's the responsible thing to do. You'll never hear me criticize them for trying to figure out what, how it's going to work. Mm. Um, and what is the best, I mean, rushing into these things has, not worked out for other companies. But do I, does it qualify as a commercial deployment yet? No. And I don't think Waymo would say that either. So by that, by that standard, we've not yet had our first commercial, like the first commercial flight was in like early 1914. Right. Yeah. And so flights and then commercial, you know, aviation took off. And let me tell you, there was a lot of incidents, you know, for decades there were incidents, but there was no alternative to flying. You just, you just didn't go <laughs> or, or maybe you took a train, which was a very long, long, you know, operation. So the other mode 
didn't exist. So, you know, or, or were more dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Um, but flying, you know, in the first, certainly in the first half of the 20th century was, you know, not the best in terms of safety, um, but, you know, it evolved. But AVs aren't even at like that point yet because you, we can drive if we don't want to take an AV. And the expectation of AV safety on day one is, is, is higher yeah. uh, yes, than, than aviation ever was. Although today aviation is actually quite safe. Which is um, – kind of now gets to what my point is going to be, which is it's going to be incredibly messy with because A, we don't have a standard, because it's so early, and because we don't really have insight into what every single solitary company is doing. Even the companies that are the most transparent because of concerns about proprietary technology and things like that, there's really only so much we can glean from the various reports and um, you know whatever else they publicly disclose, right? Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a messy decade. Uh, well, I mean, when we say messy, let's be clear here. You know, there are companies, and there are multiple companies, and my friends at Argo is but one of them. There are multiple companies taking an approach which is prudent, and it's reflected in the markets they're going to and their timelines. And then there are companies that have you know always said it's going to be next year. It's going to be next year. The cars will be you know operating highways and. It's going to be messier for them than it's going to be for the folks taking a prudent approach. You know, my hope is that, you know, and Tonicast is part of it, no parking is part of it. My hope is that, is that people doing it the prudent way uh, will, you know, gain traction. And it's not going to be one company, it's going to be multiple companies. Right. Well, and I think that also, I mean, I think that what, what, you know, sort of the forces that you're, that you're, that are, they're at battle. In these companies are on the one hand, you know, the understanding that taking your time and, and not making big steps until you know you're, you know, you have really high confidence that it's safe. Um, all this sort of, sort of the un, well understood way that, um, that trust is being built right now. Um, versus on the other hand, right, we're entering an environment where, uh, venture capital for autonomous vehicle companies is getting more scarce than it was. Um, and I think that's in turn, we're seeing it put pressure on companies to demonstrate and to open up and, and, and frankly, to, you know, to ex accelerate potentially to show that, you know, they're, they can be viable. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, what, what may happen is that, um, the companies that don't have a choice, but to push forward, they don't have the funding to take their time. And wait until they're really, really, you know, incredibly confident they're safe. Maybe they will will push too far. There will be bad things that happen, and they will sort of get knocked out of this of this, um, you know. And then, and then maybe at a certain point, you'll be left where. And Alex, you've said this before a couple of times. There'll be maybe four or five sort of big, well funded companies that that have the resources to take their time and to really do it the right way. Um, and then maybe at that point, we'll start to see. Uh, you know, more of this, like, you know, companies not trying to compete on safety, but sort of build trust in AVs more generally, because, because at that point there won't be potentially not bad, not just even bad players, but, or bad actors, but like actors who can't afford to do the right thing, if that makes sense. Well, and to be clear, to be clear, when I talk about, it's going to be a messy decade, I'm not just, I, I, that is not a direct comment to, uh, you know, fatal crashes. I'm talking about the entire industry, talking about consolidation, talking about exactly what you just laid out, the scenario of, you know, a, a race and, and for some, a race to the bottom. 
and and what will happen as a result of that. And then, you know, from the ashes of that, we'll, we'll get we'll get a lot closer to you know, a commercially viable AV industry. But, you know, there is a whole business model aspect as well. It's not just the technical and safety aspect, although that's incredibly important, um, certainly. Well, I'm going to take something you just said, Kirsten, and let me turn that around. I, I hate the race analogy. We all hate the race analogy. For yeah, no, no. However, you know, I think that, I think that consolidation in the, t- in the AV sector is going to happen sooner rather than later because it, you know, scaling costs money. Uh, Incredibly large amount as we, as we are learning, right? So I actually think that after, after the consolidation, if there's a race of of any kind, it'll be a race to the top (laughs) um, to put markers on cities like the game of risk. Uh, You know, once, you, you know, we've, whittled away, the whole sector's come down to call it, you know, four or five companies in the West, uh, you know, covering Europe, United States, you know, Middle East, uh, who knows? Four or five companies, maybe six globally total, are building full stacks. Uh, then the race will be, well, which cities can you, do you have relationships in? Which countries and cities do you have trust or uh, pre-built um, such that you can, over time, scale and deploy successfully. I, I'm actually very confident that people in time will, will trust AVs from the companies that have developed them correctly. Because over, you know, over long term, one will see these, these trends towards, towards wise and prudent choices in, in testing and deployment. And after that, there will be a race. And that's the race for actual fence, you know, ownership of the fences. Yeah. Uh, well, there's also... There's also another part of this, and I don't want to get too sidetracked because I want to get to the NTSB side, but it was a really... You have exactly 45 seconds to make your point. (laughs) It was a big takeaway from my ride as well. I talked to a number of people on the user experience research team at Waymo, um, and what really hit me from all that is that, you know, A, obviously, like, I mean, the, the ride itself was not particularly hard one, right? I've been in, in, in ride, uh, you know, AV rides in domains that were much more difficult. Obviously the fact that it was driverless was extremely impressive though. Um, the ride itself was really smooth and, and, and impressive. So, so their, their actually driving technology was, was, you know, obviously it was, it showcased that, right. And how advanced it is, but talking to the UX team, it showed also how far there is to go, uh, to take that very sophisticated driving technology, maybe, you know, the, the, the most advanced that's out there. Um, but then actually turn that into a product. And actually there's a lot of stuff happening that has to happen on the product side. That's not really driving itself. It's not the driving task as narrowly defined, but, but things that drivers do that are also extremely hard when you take the driver out of the car. So I think that, you know, w- one of the issues with the, with the AV space so far has been this, you know, just real focus on just the driving task. Can we automate the driving task? And I think what we're learning or what I learned from this experience was that even if you have that down to the point where you're confident enough to put people in the vehicle without a, without a safety driver, um, there's a lot of work to do to make that product adaptable and flexible enough to do all the things that even a mediocre Uber driver can do. So, you know, the 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 challenge is ongoing. The race, and again, I agree, we shouldn't call it a race, but like the 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 finish line for what people thought the race was, 
uh, is not even where they thought it was because it, it's not just a technical challenge of the driving task. It is, as Alex says, the relationships with cities, but it is also a whole bunch of technical and other kinds of work that it takes to understand uh, how humans interact with the the vehicle, you know, with 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 mobility, with the mobility providers. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of companies still have a long way to go to really understand that, let alone start solving those challenges. Sorry, right. that was more than 45 seconds. That was so much longer than 45 seconds. That was a mouthful. Yeah. And in fact, we don't have, even have time to, to, to argue any of those points because Good. we have been asked for weeks now to talk about the NTSB report. So Alex, do you have anything to say about what Ed said before we move on? No. No, no, no. So it actually, I want to take something that Alex said earlier, which was the fight over if there is going to be a raise once, you know, in your view, consolidation happens. And then from there, really, it's going to be a race to these cities and what city will work where. And I started thinking as a result of those, that comment um, about Uber's relationship with the state of Arizona and it's it's been an interesting one that's evolved. Obviously, they got kicked out of, of Arizona, but it's it's been interesting to watch how states have in the um, states like Florida and Arizona have taken different approaches, but really seen it as an opportunity to you know get jobs and to have companies testing there. And that doesn't always work out well. When uh, the Uber fatal crash, for example, happened, the governor came under fire for that. And, and they've since sort of tweaked things a little bit, but they're still, you know, absolutely um, have a less regulated approach than California does. So it got me to thinking about that Uber fatal crash and sort of the end result of this investigation, which is kind of giving everyone a little bit of blame. Yeah. And Alex, I don't know what you can say about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, <laughs> this is one, this is, uh, <laughs> I would say that every, I said a lot of things before, uh, right around the time that the Uber crash happened. Um, and a lot of those things remain true. In fact, I think most of them remain true there, you know, there needs to be some kind of regulation, but not too much. Um, you know, we, I do, I totally believe that we need a you know, standardization or, or, you know, common framework across all 50 states. Because otherwise, the companies that develop AVs correctly, you know, it'll just delay them getting to market. And it'll just make it almost impossibly expensive to develop anything anywhere. So that's, you know, that's... I, I have a question for you. Do you think yeah. that when... Um, go back in time to uh, right after that crash happened. Yeah. And to today and compare and compare the two times. Do you think we're closer to getting a standard either federally or that states can all agree on somehow or farther or farther away from that? I'm not a policy person, so I can't tell you if we're closer. Well, no, but you know the industry well. So in your view, just in your personal view, do you think we're farther away from that point or closer to it? I don't think we're farther away. I, I think we're probably getting closer every day and that's a good thing. Um, the, you know, again, it's the perception of AV companies in general. I mean, I know so much more today than I did a year ago, obviously. And it's just incredible to me that the perception of what companies are doing 
uh, is so far from the reality oftentimes um, that it is very difficult to to judge the companies one against the other. But we can draw some conclusions <laughs> that you know companies that were using SIM from day one that that's a that's a wise move. Companies that were uh, you know had very you know, stringent training regimens for their their, their you know, safety drivers that's a good decision. And you know one can hope, or at least I would infer that companies that were making smart decisions from from day one will continue making smart decisions. Uh, you know, I voted, <laughs> my feet took me to where I am because I believe in, in, in their approach. Um, you know, and I'm confident that, that there are a lot of people out there trying to do the right thing, but there are a few that are you know, trying to cut corners. I'm against that. Well, before Ed jumps in, the one thing that, you know, I, I've come back to time and time again is that a company under pressure to raise money or to appear as if they are advancing to a certain level to either placate or attract shareholders is potent is is certainly a common theme that's happened in every industry but it creates also it's a recipe for disaster and i think that that's what played out with the uber crash a lot had to happen for things to go wrong. And a lot of people might say that that is an indication of, you know, uh, maybe they won't look at it as a positive. I like to flip it in and look at it as a negative because to me, it's an indication that it takes too many things to make it perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there were, there were five or six potential issues that came together to result in this crash. To me, I view that as five or six things that had to have been perfect and weren't. Yeah. And I think it's very difficult to hit that mark every single time. And I don't know what the answer is in terms of preventing crashes in the future. I don't think that I, I absolutely believe that there will be more. So one of one of the the really interesting takeaways for me from this this Uber investigation by NTSB, I mean, first of all, NTSB, let's give some credit where it's due here. They are uh, doing the best work of anybody in government on automated driving systems right now. I think their their Tesla investigations have been very good, and there's actually a connection between their findings here um, and and what they found in in those Tesla crash investigations. In that, um, in his opening statement, uh, uh, the chairman uh, Zumwalt said, "You know, this is not a self driving vehicle. We're not there yet." Um, and what he meant by that was that you know. These are test vehicles, and they really need to have uh, a human uh, sort of monitoring it, and that's very similar. And 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 you know, I think clearly Uber, uh, you know, did not have good testing practices, and it's been really interesting to see testing practices sort of achieve a there's sort of a certain consensus now in the wake of this crash that you know about six weeks of training seems to have become really common. Teams of two in the vehicle, you know, rotating roles and rotating uh, 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 partnerships. So different different teams of two rotating jobs and rotating their partners sort of keeps everyone fresh, prevents everyone from sort of getting into a rut, which is what happens, right, with these systems where it's good enough that it handles most of the situations. But then when you need that human to be there, they're not paying attention. The, the troubling part of this um, is I think a, a really, you know, I understand why companies don't want to have uh, uh, regulation because it is oftentimes, uh, it's very easy for regulation to do as much harm as good. Um, 
but there's something troubling in this case, which is that you know this is not a consumer product um, where people are free to use it, you know, as responsibly or frankly irresponsibly as as they can. Although I do think there are there are real problems with Tesla. In this case, this was someone's job to sit in that car for long periods of time by themselves at night. Um, and and what's really interesting is is that the Maricopa County, um, you know, because uh, uh, this. You know, NTSB finding sort of says, well, you know, it wasn't a self-driving car. You can't just blame the car itself. Um, Maricopa County may still press charges against Rafaela Vasquez, the the safety driver in this instance. And I think that that's, I think clearly she she bears some responsibility for what happened. But I think that um, just as in in a Tesla crash, I think you can't just blame the driver because the design of the system and how it was being, you know, how it is set up to be used contributes really fundamentally to how people end up using it. In other words, not paying attention. I think the same thing is in this case. And I think it's troubling to me that that she may still face criminal charges. And yet there's no real sense that anybody at Uber who was in charge of designing the system and specking it and and testing policy, uh, they're not facing any kind of criminal charges. And I think they they have to be at least as responsible as the person who was behind that wheel for, you know, you know, pretty low hourly wage is my understanding. Well, I mean, Uber made the smartest dis, you know, strategic decision it could have and settled very quickly um, soon after that uh, uh, fatal crash. And, and so we, there, there is a lot of information that might have come out in, in the courts had something, you know, had they faced a civil uh, a suit. But it'll be interesting to me to see what happens if, if she is charged um, and if there are any attempts at counter a countersuit, you know, from maybe if she lawyers up towards the company itself, towards Uber, to uh, and and I mean, I, there there's a lot of flaws with that argument. So I, I I don't put that out there. I like I acknowledge that 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 would might be seem odd, but I'll be curious to see it, what happens with with Uber because while they they did settle very quickly. Um, I'm not so sure that it's the entire issue has been put to bed. One of my favorite episodes of actually of Alex's No Parking podcast. Um, there was a screenwriter who I, I think the movie is in production. It's a uh, at least wrote a script. I think it's it's going into production. Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. And the idea was uh, was it was like Twelve Angry Men. Only um, it was the CEO of a self driving car company who's being tried for uh, uh, you know for for its car his car killing. Uh, someone, I think it's amazing that that I, obviously it's a very like it's a brilliant idea for a kind of near future sci fi scenario. What's fascinating is that in reality the difference is it's not the CEO on trial here, right? Travis Kalanick is on trial. Even Anthony Lewandowski. I mean, none of the people who are involved in in Uber's you know setting these policies is on trial here. It's the the human who happened to be the low level employee who happened to be behind the wheel. When this event happened, that's on trial. I don't know. I, I think it says a lot about about us as a society, and it's sort of interesting to think about. You know, will we ever see a future where where a CEO of a self driving car company will be on trial for its car killing someone? Well, because it's not called a self driving car, and as <laughs> as uh, um, was meant, yeah, was mentioned in in that opening statement. You know, that seems to place the responsibility more squarely on on the driver in this case. Uh, that's not to say that there isn't an argument to be made about the design and about, you know, w- 
is there any responsibility on Uber's side? And it's one of the reasons why they chose to settle, right? They did not want that playing out in court or those types of questions being asked. So maybe maybe Vasquez has to sue Uber for this question to be resolved. Right. But yeah. but that would be a, that would again when I when I put that out there as a possible scenario. I mean, I'm sure there are many lawyers who will be listening to the show will have an opinion on that, and and I'm not so sure that that like makes the most sense. But but that oftentimes these types of questions get answered in the court system. That's how we you know set precedents, yeah, things like that. And that's right. That's and that's another real lesson here is there's so much focus on. Uh, on regulation. I think the longer we don't have regulation, the more it becomes clear that what's going to matter in all of this is, is civil and criminal liability when things go wrong. And I think that that, that to me is why I think the, the industry needs to ask itself some tough questions about, you know, is there some regulation that we can get out there, some rules that we can play by, um, that maybe limit us in certain ways, but that, that give us some predictability because as we've, you know, anybody who follows, you know, court cases, you know, juries in particular could be affected by all kinds of different things and and come to all kinds of different conclusions, especially about sophisticated technology that they don't understand and probably can't understand, like self-driving. Um, you know, do these companies want to see a certain amount of regulation as a way to head off this stuff? Or, you know, do they want to roll their dice and let the courts essentially be the ones who sort of regulate from the jury box? Remember this, the day... The day the driver or the safety driver test specialists, you know, that Argo calls them, comes out of the vehicle and the vehicles are commercially deployed, people, you get into a taxi today with a human driver and the passenger has no liability. The cab company has insurance. Uh, the, the driver has co- presumably covered underneath that. So Logically, you know, a shared commercial AV fleet is going to operate the same way because no one will get in the back of the car unless the fleet operator has insurance. So that's very different scenario from what you're describing, which is what who has liability during testing and and the you know the NTSB report, which is putting the blame on the driver. So yes, I'm sure there'll be litigation around it. But when AV fleets deploy, at least shared commercial AV fleets, logically. They will they will assume liability, and that is that's the conundrum of this whole Tesla you know <laughs> scenario, which assumes that you, one buys a Tesla with a full self driving option and makes it available on a Tesla sharing platform, but the owner of the vehicle still has liability. And I have a Tesla that I don't buy that. I just don't buy that at all. Well, it's like you say. It's just it just means it's not it's not a self driving vehicle. I, again, I think this is the bright line that we're that we're sort of realizing right. exists here is that liability is the difference between a self driving vehicle and and not. Well, and also, and as Alex points out, terminology matters. So, I mean, I don't know, Alex. I don't know if you realize that you were making that point, but essentially, you were drawing a line between a test. You know, the scenarios that are happening right now, and and liability based on testing and then crossing over to the day when there's driverless commercial deployments. That's two different, it's two different scenarios and two different definitions. Tesla's vehicles, are they beta test vehicles essentially that we all, you know, not me, but you own and and everyone else owns? Um, You know, what's that, what's that definition? I think the definition matters almost as much as 
um, or more than when we finally commercially deploy. You know, because if if a company can call, just keep calling them test vehicles, but continue to ramp up uh, levels of automation. Who's responsible for that? This, and this is a really important point because um, I wrote a, a piece a while back at the Drive, sort of looking at um, the regulatory barriers to pushing, you know, so a full self driving uh, software to to vehicles, and um, and and one of the the things that sort of emerged out of that is that um, because all of our automotive regulation, safety regulation is based on self-certification. Um, all of the regulators from the federal to the state level essentially rely on companies to communicate honestly and transparently about what kind of vehicle, right? So like, is this vehicle level two? Is it level three? Is it level four? Is it level five? These are questions that the, the regulators are not equipped to determine a, a sort of a ground truth about, they rely on the companies themselves making statements about it. Um, and so again, I think, you know, that's why having some kind of external bright line that isn't just, you know, what is this company saying? Because they can say one thing and do another. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, and I think legal liability is, is the only place where that line is. Well, Alex, do you have any other parting thoughts? Um, no, I think uh, I, yeah, I think I said it all. Um, here's the interesting. Here's here's my final thought. And we we were asked by a number of people to keep to to please have an NTSBA episode, and and they, they may or may not be satisfied by our debate, but I do think it shows how complicated and uh, this issue is, and then it's going to keep coming up. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that we'll continue to have these conversations, especially once we determine whether the driver is going to be held or is going to be criminally charged yeah, um, and, and how that plays out. But it just shows that there is not one answer. I mean, even the NTSB report, it shows just how complex it is by es- essentially es- putting blame on a number of factors. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think if, if Rafael Vasquez is charged criminally, I think that everybody who works as a, a test a specialist or safety specialist. I'm not sure what, what the term, uh, it probably varies from company to company, but, but if you, you know, going forward, if she's charged criminally and certainly if she's found, if she's found guilty, um, anybody taking one of those jobs is going to have to think they're going to have to become experts in this stuff because they're going to need to know, is this a company I can trust? They're going to have to answer that trust question. Um, because the reality is, is that, you know, spending long periods of time waiting for a car to to screw up a driving system to screw up is something that we're just not good at. There's so much, so much of a track record there um, that it's going to be a huge step. If you're going to face criminal liability, if something goes wrong, uh, you need to trust the hell out of whoever's car you're getting into and you're taking criminal responsibility and civil responsibility for potentially. Well, we'll end it there. Unless Alex has something more to add. <laughs> uh, only that, uh, let me tell you, if I wasn't on the Atonicast, I would have definitely listened to the Atonicast because of episodes like this. Um, what a good show. Uh, <laughs> well, and what a good show. And that's a good, a good point to mention. Um, as you heard in the, in our, our faux advertisement earlier in the episode, um, you know, we are uh, currently uh, running a listener survey. Um, if you do enjoy the show, if you do enjoy discussions like this, if you'd like to hear more of them, um, please support us by uh, – all you have to do is go fill out that survey. The fields are optional. 
Um, so you can give us as much or as little information about yourself as you want. Um, this helps us get sponsorship as well as improving the quality of the show. Um, so please just take a few minutes. And if you haven't, go to atonicast.com slash survey um, and fill that out and uh, help us continue to improve the Atonicast. And on that note, we'll see you here next week on another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.